Good morning, Redeemer Church. I've been reading in Acts a little bit, the book of Acts, and I was just so impressed by the fact that the first church in Jerusalem was basically 120 believers, about the size of Redeemer Church. And think about that day on Pentecost, as Christ had promised, where he sent the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit descended upon that church, and it says that flames of fire touched on all of them, and they were changed. They were transformed by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And after that, that church immediately grew. Think about this for a moment. Going from about 120 believers to about 3,120. Because Peter got up in the power of the Holy Spirit with authoritative apostolic preaching, and he began to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that over 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ in one day. So you think about it, the church in Jerusalem was a lot like we are right now, 120 people, and you think, what did they do when all those people flooded their church? Have you ever thought about that? You know, a a nursery and children's ministry would be just blown out of the water, right? I mean, you can't imagine it. But I thought about it, I said, well, what does the Bible say the church did when they had this influx of new people that needed to be discipled in the way of Christ. And it talks about four activities. And I'm going to read this to you today. And this is going to be a time of self-examination and prayer in your own life. So listen to what they did. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Think about it, to devote yourself to something. If we are a devoted husband and father or a devoted wife and mother, that means that we give ourselves in loyal love. And this also can, this word devoted themselves also means they continued steadfastly. So think about it, if you and I continue steadfastly in these four activities, who knows what God can do? The first thing is to devote ourselves to the the authoritative teaching of the Word of God. And let me ask you, when you come here, do you come with a heart prepared to receive, a humble heart, open ears to receive the Word of God as it's brought to you by people who have prepared and asked the Lord to give them wisdom and guidance as they teach His Word? It also says that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Is church just a habit for you? Is it easier for you at times just to stay home and catch it online or something like that? Or are you devoted to this group of people that are Redeemer Church? And it says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. This is the idea of being in their homes, opening up their homes and lives to one another, and breaking bread together, practicing hospitality, and getting to know one another on a deeper level. And that's what our life groups are about. And then it also says that um, they prayed. 
that devoted themselves to prayer. Would you say today that your prayer life is one that is devoted? I certainly have a lot of room for growth in that area. Am I devoted to prayer? And so those four things, I'm going to ask us to bow our heads, and I'm going to walk, walk us through a time of examination. And this is not to beat up or make anybody feel guilty. This is just a check on how devoted are we to these practices of church and just see if there's room for us to ask God to help us improve in these areas. So let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for the example of the early church. We know they weren't perfect. (laughs) They had their problems and dysfunctions just like every other church. But Lord, there were four things they did in the wake of Holy Spirit awakening and salvations of so many people as the church began to grow. They devoted themselves to the, to the teaching of the Word of God and not only listening, but, but internalizing it and, and applying it in their daily lives. And so, Lord, as we examine our hearts today, I pray that we would examine the attitude of our spirit as we sit in church and we hear the Word of God. Do we cling to your words as life? Do we let the scriptures encourage our hearts? Lord, how are we devoting ourselves to your word? Lord, I pray that there would be conviction in our hearts today. And Lord, devoted to the fellowship, I pray for those who are struggling with um, coming and being a part and rolling up their sleeves and just really wading into this thing called community, the church. Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts, that you would draw them close to the fellowship, Lord, that you would unite us as a church body, that we would be so glad to be together in person, be able to minister to one another, serve and encourage each other. And Lord, to the breaking of bread in their homes devoted to that. I pray for those who struggle with life group attendance. I pray, Lord, that they would be convicted of a need to be with their brothers and sisters and, and uh, share bread and hospitality with one another and get to know each other on a deeper level. And Lord, we pray that this would be an area of just great growth in our church, that you would bless our life groups and help them as they are devoted to that practice, and then, Lord, devoted to prayer. Prayer is transformational to the life of a church. Prayer changes us. Prayer moves mountains. Prayer breaks down strongholds. Lord, would you call the people of Redeemer to prayer? Convict us, Lord. You're convicting me right now. Lord, we pray that our devotion for you would grow hotter and deeper. And Lord, that we would begin to transform in these four areas by the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, as this is a time of examination and confession, may your people recommit themselves to these activities, Lord. Lord, I pray for Brother Charles as he comes to bring the message. Thank you for his life his walk with you, his experiences. I thank you, Lord, for his preparation this week. Lord, I know he sought you with his whole heart. He's humbled himself before you. 
And Lord, he is serving your people and ultimately serving you by bringing us the word today. Would you anoint his teaching? Would you give him complete freedom and clarity as he brings your word to us and helps us apply it to our daily lives? We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate that. If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, if you would like to open up to Genesis chapter 10. I'm sorry? Oh, domestic hit. I forgot about the kid. I'll take the heat for that too, you know. <laughs> I didn't have that on my notes. <laughs> oh, so if you have your Bibles or electronic devices and you want to open up the uh, Genesis chapter 10, we're going to continue our study in the, in the uh, foundations uh, series that we have been doing. Uh, now, if you're not familiar with Genesis chapter 10, there's a little story behind it. Um, see, Shannon and I talked some time ago, and I asked him, he asked me if I could preach at this time, and I said, sure. I said, what passages? Oh, probably somewhere the last passages of chapter 9. I thought, oh, good, you know, avoid chapter 10. And then, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, I'm boy, I'm thinking about different illustrations and things to work with the passage and all of that, and then I go back to the back of last Sunday in January, and I asked him, I said, Shannon, have you figured out the preaching schedule or laid out the preaching schedule for the month of February. And he says, yes, brother, I have, and a smile comes on his face. <laughs> and I begin to wilt. And he said, you are going to be blessed. And I said, Genesis chapter 10. <laughs> and he said, yes. And I responded to him and I said, do you realize the last time you were gone and we continued the series in Foundation, you gave Stanley a genealogy passage. And he said, yes, I did. I asked him if this was going to be a pattern. I don't know. So I get Genesis chapter 10. Forget all about the last part of chapter 9. And so changing course from Genesis chapter 9 and feeling really blessed, since Shannon said I would be, I began to study of the chapter and during the stages of the Bible study, you know, you have your observation, then you have your interpretation, and it's in this stage I begin to look at the books, the interpretation stage. Because I'll be honest with you, this is a bunch of names that nobody really wants to give their children. And so as I began to look at this, the first book I looked at was a book entitled Genesis Creation and blessing. And the first thing I read about chapter 10 was this from Alan Ross. He writes, The tenth chapter of Genesis remains one of the least satisfactorily studied passage in the book. After reading that, I felt really blessed. 
And so I began to dig. Now, there's another step in the Bible study process, and that's application. So I'm beginning, how do I take all of these names and somehow bring it down to where we live and how we can apply it to our lives? And that became the hard part. I spent a lot of time there thinking about that, a lot of time meditating in my chair in my office, mulling it through my mind, what is the best way to do it? Especially when you take the little catchphrase at the bottom of the foundation slide that we put up on the screen where it says, giving clarity in an age of confusion. Talk about confusion. How do I bring clarity out of a bunch of names and bring it into where we live today? And so as I began to pray and began to look, a thing that came to mind was my carpet at home. My carpet at home is a special carpet. The reason why I picked it out. I'm taking credit for that carpet. You see, in our home, as some of you know, Judy has the house. Anything past the laundry room is mine. She will come out there sometimes and clean, which I am grateful for, but don't move anything. And if she moves it, she usually puts it where I could find it, or I can come ask her and she'll go, I don't remember. And that's fine too, because I'll find it eventually. But we went to Nebraska Furniture. She bought some furniture, and she goes, what is about this? You know, it's a typical husband, or oh, whatever you like here. Well, do you like this? Oh, it looks great. Yes, dear. Whatever, you know, if you like it, it's good. I will not, no, I know nothing about furnitures, about decorating, zero zilch. Let me hang stuff in my garage because it doesn't have to make sense. In fact, recently, we had a picture on one wall and some pictures on the other, and she wanted to change walls. Why? <laughs> oh, I just thought it would be something different to look at. Why? <laughs> so eventually, I did it. It looks good. She was right. But in this carpet, we were thumbing through the carpets there, as, you know, the ones that hang from the ceiling. If you've ever been to Nebraska Furniture, they was hanging from the ceiling. We were thumbing through these carpets, and we're looking at these different carpets with the different color schemes and everything else like that. And we came up to do I like this one. Oh, it's nice. Let's keep looking. So here we go, some more carpets, carpets, carpets. Well, what about this one? Nah. Well, this one really looks nice. Um, let me think about it. Keep looking, looking, looking. No, no, no. And we come back. This one. This is, I, I mean, it looks good. It's got the color of the furniture. It's got the gold that's on the chair, the blue that's on the chair. It's got the tan that's on the couch. It blends in with the new floor we put in. Even the kitchen floor tile that was put in when the house was built. It's the perfect look. We bought it. And as I thought about that rug and about this passage in Genesis, I began to want to see how these design on this rug is so sporadic. Some of it is connected, some of it isn't. The different colors run different ways and the images are so different. And I began to think about the passage in Genesis, how all these different people 
from these different lines that are listed here of the sons of Noah. How they each played a role in bringing together a big picture. And so therefore I chose a rug. And the title that I chose for the sermon is Threads Through Time. Because this is what it is. Because we look at Genesis 10 and this is where it begins. And so the first thread that I, I see is the thread that loops back to God. Now you're sitting there going, well, how is that? Well, beginning in verse 2, it says, The sons of Jepheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer, Ashkaz, Riptha, and Togomara. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodaman. From these are the coastlands people spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans in their nations. Now you have to realize that passage there, is, we've already moved past the Tower of Babel as he wrote this passage because these, they have their own languages now. They have their own places where they're going. And if you look at the map that's up, that's up on the screen and you see, you would look in, and you're going to see that in the color of red, where Japheth had red, or not red, blue, thank you. No, green. Yeah, green, I'm sorry. I put the wrong color down. I don't know why I did that. Green, you go back and, it, and you have to go back to Noah's blessing. And the reason you go back to Noah's blessing is because it says, he said that, may God enlarge Japheth. Japheth basically means to enlarge or expand. And so if you see that on the map, you see where the lineage of Japheth or the descendants of Japheth settled. They settled in Europe, Asia, down along the coast, all the way out to Spain. And Tarshish, does Tarshish ring a bell? Jonah. We'll get to him in a minute. But in Ezekiel, and then there comes the person of Magog. Magog, we know about him too. There's a thread of him that runs through the scriptures. In Ezekiel 28, 2, Sons of men, set your face towards Gog in the land of Magog. The chief prince, Meshan, and Tabal, and prophecy against them. Ezekiel 96, 39, 6, I will send fire on Magog, and on those who dwell securely in the coastlands, and they shall know that I am the Lord, the God. And then again in Revelations 28, I will come out and deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand and the sea. So here is this history of this Magog, and basically what Magog is, they, where they are, they're the Russians, the Slavs, the Bulgarians, Bohemians, the Poles, Croatians. And then they're in those passages that we spoke about. Because they're this run through history. Because we know that Magog, this, this Magog is going to come out of the north. This, this individual that's going to come down and, during the end times. We don't know who it's going to be. My personal preference is going to be China. Because, you see, Russia and China didn't get along very well. And then in 1991, they signed a treaty on the border. 
There was still a little bit more confusion. So in 94, they signed another treaty, and now that tension on the border with China and Russia has is dissipated. But now we come to today and what's been going on today. You have China giving Russia materials to fight in Ukraine. You have China helping, helping Iran in developing their nuclear systems. You have China in Africa, China in South America. And so I'm beginning to think maybe China is going to be the superpower that's going to sweep down from the north, including Russia. My opinion, nothing to back it. Just thought and looking at the world structure. And then, of course, there's Mad-Eye. Well, the Medes who settled in Persia, India, Iran, Afghanistan, and the Kurdish people. Two quick points that I want to point out from these people is Josephus writes in a writing point, pointed out that the Great Wall of China used to be called the Wall of Magi. Magog, I'm sorry, Magog simply because of the fact, because of the tension between the two. China did not want these heathens, these barbarians, to be filtering into their province, to their property, to their country. And the tension between Iraq and Iran, it starts here in chapter 10. Iraq is settled by the Semites. Iran is settled by the Japhites. The fact that the two seem similar in very many ways. But yet Iran speaks a language called Farsi, which is, which is a, a language that comes out of the Persian di di dialect. But what interests interest me is when I found out in the blessing that Noah gave Japheth, he said, may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. You see, what had happened, as I mentioned, as these individuals, these tribes, these descendants of Japheth moved north, they became barbaric. They became people that, that the writers wrote and said that they were just atrocious. Nobody wanted to deal with them. You remember I mentioned Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go to, go to Nineveh. Why? Because they were so bad. They don't deserve you, God. And so he gets on a boat, goes the opposite direction, falls into the water, a large fish takes him for a snack, gives him a ride, burps him up on the shore, and he goes to Nineveh because he realizes, okay, God, this is what you want me to do. He preaches about God and, and the people turn to God. But it's really interesting because as you go get to Obadiah, Obadiah, he prophesies that Nineveh is going to fall. And this is all connecting. It's all coming together. But these people, somehow, some way, ended up coming back into the tents of Shem. Somehow God intervened, perhaps through prophets like Jonah. Perhaps it was also the gospel. But somehow these people started coming back, these descendants of Japheth, because this is what the promise or the, the blessing to Japheth was all about, bringing them back. I know for myself, when we moved here, I wasn't the happiest person in the world. It wasn't the fact that we're moving here. We're moving here it made me happy. 
I was just miserable. I was angry. I was angry about a lot of things. In fact, I was so angry, I told Judy, go find a church. I don't, I don't want to mess with it. She ended up here. I came here only wanting to be known as the guy who, who does insurance inspections and umpires baseball. That's it. That's all I wanted to be known as. Somehow it got out that, oh, you were a pastor. Yeah. I didn't want that to come out, but it did. So that upset me, so I quit coming. Why? It's stupid. I realize that. It's not the smartest decisions I ever made in my life. But I stayed away. Judy here flourished. People got to know her and love her, as typical as everywhere we go. Me, it takes a little bit longer, you know. Uh, but eventually I started coming. But when Judy took off and went to England to help my daughter with her kids and she was having some surgery and stuff, I started searching for other churches. Thought I found one. Started attending there. Judy came back and I said, well, let's try this. We did it for a few weeks. And I'm sitting at home and for some reason I'm spending time with God because I hadn't been doing that. He says, you need to go back to Redeemer. Oh, man. You know. I said, okay. So I told Judy, yes, and we started coming back. And as we came back, I talked to Shannon in the back, and I told Shannon, I said, Shannon, this had nothing to do with you, it was me, and I have to ask your forgiveness. Because it seemed like maybe you thought it was about you, and it wasn't, it was about me. And so over the period of time, God began to work. God gave me an opportunity to teach the Sunday morning class a couple of times, and it kind of got things rolling. And then I was asked to, I asked to attend a, a men's study out at Denny's. You know, one of those six o'clock things that guys do sometimes, you know. Why six o'clock on a Friday? I don't know, but it was a good thing. And I enjoyed it. It started out a pretty good-sized group, and of course it whittled down to two. And that was okay, because we had a blast going through the book of Colossians. That little four-chapter book took us almost a year. It was great. Because from that, God opened some other doors. Shannon comes to me and says, we want to teach a men's class on Wednesday. Wow. And I, I asked him, I said, am I an afterthought or the first person you thought of? He says, you're the first person I thought of. That communicated a lot to me. So I did that until some person in this auditorium started a class on theology and all the guys that I had went to him. No hard feelings. Because God had a different plan, a different direction. So Wednesday, men's class kind of went off to the side. And then Shannon asked me to speak. I thought, wow, that's awesome. And so I had the privilege of Thanksgiving speaking for the first time. And 
People were very gracious. They said, you didn't, weren't too bit nervous. I could tell you were nervous because the paper shook every time you moved one. <laughs> I'm even nervous now. But my point is, is that sometimes we drift away. Sometimes we get into that time because how in the world can these sons of, Jeff, sons of Noah who spent the time in the boat, spent the time with him building the boat, spent the time collecting the animals, knowing what God was doing and his righteousness and everything, how could they move so far from God? I don't get it. But they did. They moved away. Why? The world... Maybe they gave up on God. I don't know. doesn't say. But in that promise that, or in that, that blessing that Noah gave to Japheth, he's gonna say, he said, you're going to come back to the tents of Shem. I found out that in the tapestry of my life, in the, in the thread that goes through my life, that God could bring me back. Because as I sought after him, he came closer to me. And I came back. I may have felt, even though spiritually I'm in the tent, reality-wise, I was still far from it. And so this year, I committed myself to, to not only studying the Word of God, but studying God. I don't want to be a Christian because I'm one of those where thank you God, thank you God, thank you God, thank you God. And that's great that we can be grateful for everything that God gives us and provides for us. We're supposed to be. But there's another level and that's that level of seeking God and who He is and knowing who He is. That's where I want to be. I don't know if you're in the tent or outside the tent. I don't know. But what is God saying to you? And this brings me to the second thread. And that's the thread leading to the rejection of God. See, these are the descendants of Shem. And when you are, I'm sorry, I said Ham, not Shem, Ham. Boy, I'm having trouble reading my own notes. And they're tight. In 14, you know, 14, you know, I made it big so I could read it. Anyway, um, beginning in, in verse 6, it says, The sons of Ham are Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Sheba, Havilah, Sabbath, Ramah, Saptica. The sons of Ramah, Sheba, Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said like Nimrod, mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdoms were Babel, Ekrik, Akkad, Kalani, and in the land of Shinar. From the land he went to, into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ur, Kala, and risen between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludum, Ananum, Lehem, Laabum, Naphtalim, Patherism, Kalsum, from who the Philistines came. And boy, I didn't pronounce those names very good, did I? Yes. <laughs> but anyway, 
Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heath, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Gergesites, the Havites, and the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zimorites, the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed in the territory of the Canaanites, extended from Sidon to the direction of Gir, and as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sada, Gomorrah, Adam, and Zibabom, and as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham and their clans, their languages and their lands and their nations. Now, if you look at the map, they're the ones in red. And you see where Ham had established. But I want, more importantly, to understand what Noah said in chapter 9, or in verse 5. He said that cursed be Canaan. None other of the sons of Ham, no one else of the sons and the descendants of the sons of Ham other than Canaan. And he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. I know there's a tendency to say, okay, the curse of Ham and it's all. No, the curse was on Canaan. It wasn't on Ham. And what we find out from this is that if we go, to a, go down to the Amorites and we begin to look there, because the Canaanite out of Canaan came the Amorites. Why the Amorites? The Amorites are very important because if you know the, the scriptures, you know that you know, we have Abram, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Of the sons of Jacob, we had Joseph. Joseph was sent out into Egypt because his brothers didn't like the fact that he had this really nice, colorful coat, and he said, you're going to bow down to me. And so they sold him off, and he ended up going down into Egypt where he became very prominent because he controlled the, king to the food, keys to the food supply because there were famine in the land. So now Abraham is sent down, but we have to go back to chapter 15 of Genesis when Abraham and God were talking before Isaac was born. And this is what he says, As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here, meaning those who are going to go down to Egypt. They shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is yet to be completed. So in other words, what he's saying is that you're going down there and you're not going to come out and you're going to suffer all these things. The people will suffer all these things at the hands of the Egyptians, but you're going to come out at the time when the bucket of sin for the Amorites is full. And once it becomes full, you're going to come out. And when they came out and they get approached the Jordan River, who did they encounter first? The Amorites who were on the east side of the river. They defeated them. But there were more on the west side of the river, but they couldn't cross yet. You see, the Amorites, that whole timing, that whole thing of Canaan, Canaan for that whole, that whole group of people, they became so sinful. You remember, what was one of the first cities God destroyed? Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And what, what God did is he, he basically let these people go because their sin was so great. They had gone so far as to be introduce human sacrifices. Not intended for what God wanted. But yet they... And so God says, this is what we're going to wait for. And when this happens, then we're going to make our move. And then in verse 8, we're introduced to this fellow by the name of Nimrod. In Hebrew, it means rebel. It says that he was a mighty hunter, and basically he was a mighty hunter not for God, but against God. His name and his, who he is as a person is almost equated with the, the giants in the land. Remember when Shannon was talking about the giants in the land? You know, the, the Satan and inter, came into the human body somehow and they became big and they, they were trying to interact with the human. And that was one of the reasons God decided to, it's time for a flood. Start over. A reboot. And they believed that maybe he was possibly one of those. But yet also he was a builder. Because we find from the passage that Babel, which is Babylon. He became his first ruler, and his name was Sargon. Sargon, and then which turned into a form of worship for the Babylonians. Wow. Here's this guy, and he's, he's building all these cities and all these things, and, and it's basically this idea just like the Canaanites were pulling people from God, Nimrod, as he was building out, in the, out into the lands, into the Syria and Babylon, pulling people from God and not bringing them to God. In the coming weeks, we're going to be hearing about the Tower of Babel because these are, it's, a, it's a zaggerat what they build high up into the sky because they said, we want to reach the heavens so that we don't have to spread out. And what had happened is that they began to view, take an image or a view of man versus the view of God. They began to study the stars and, and all of that, all the astronomy and the things of creation instead of the creator. And so, he, and so God, of course, he says, wait a minute, this isn't going to happen. So he comes down, him, he said, let us, the Trinity, we go down, everybody gets a different language. They disperse like they were supposed to in the beginning. But then he goes on and builds Nineveh, another major city, as I mentioned earlier, prophesied by Obadiah that they're going to, it's going to be destroyed. Because here they are, they come to God, and then through the time passes, they reject God, but yet God uses them. Nimrod could be considered a prototype of the Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians, we're told that the Antichrist will do mighty works on the earth. He will also be known as Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18. And so from Nimrod, we see the direction he's going. It's not to bring people to God, it's to pull God, people from God. And we've, down through the ages, there's always been those who, who want to pull people away from God. 
As a child, it was really interesting. And there's some funny things that I remember as a child. And out of the, somewhere around age eight or nine, I saw a cartoon. And what it was is that there was two sidewalks with an edge that, you know, kind of two sidewalks coming together. And walking down the one sidewalk that was on the right was an elderly person dressed in a robe and sandals, long beard, long hair. I guess it was simulating or illustrating God. And he was carrying the sign saying, God is dead. Now this is the 60s. And I believe the 60s was a crucial turning point in the history of the United States, in the history, because they were saying that the 60s came into being because they wanted to throw off this Victorian veil that was covering our people. We, they wanted to be free of all the restrictions. They wanted to be free to, to dress and to be able to do the things that they wanted to do. Coin, coin phrases like make love, not war, making sex, and just a recreational activity. Drugs, man, if we can do that, you know, so that they can, you know, sit in a room and get high and take this stuff and, and go off on trips and never leave the room. We have those, those threads that just continue to lose lead people away from God. I, I remember in, in second, first grade, we, we, those of us who would bring our lunch, we would eat in the room and we would sit at our desk and we would open our lunch pails and we would eat. But before we ate, we prayed. Public school. Second grade, same thing. And then all of a sudden, we stopped. Don't know why. Didn't find out years later until this woman, Madeline Marie O'Hara, or yeah, that's her. Separation of church and state. Nowhere in the Constitution does it mean that there's a small phrase in some papers written by one of our forefathers that mentions that and it was exaggerated into this thing. And so now God can no longer be in schools. Threads that lead us away. It's, it's, it's there as we look out into the today. We see people like George Soros who are willing to pump millions of dollars to elect people into office who will not support our judicial system, who allow the crime to run rampant in the cities as we're seeing today. There are people like this, this teacher that was in the news yesterday out of, out of Washington where she said we need to get rid of these pseudo-Christian parents because they keep prying into the privacy of their children. Whoa. Since when do they have to be concerned about the privacy of my child? But this is where we're going. These are the people who want to pull us away from God. These are the people who don't want us to have those relationships. These are the people who want the chaos. And sometimes it bothers me the most when the politicians stand in front of the microscope and promote God, but yet they'll put legislation that is so anti-God. But this is where we're headed. So there's a thread that loops back to God, a thread that, loops, that moves away from God, and then third is the thread that leads us to Christ. Now, 
here in chapter 10, we have the lineage of Shem. And Shem, it's a pretty good genealogy because it stops. Because the one person that you should have highlighted in that is the, the Archipeshed. Archipeshed. Oh, I've been working on that name all week. I still butchered it. But that name, because through him comes the line of Christ. Through him comes the individuals that will bring us to the person of Jesus Christ. And if you look on the map, the map in the purple gives us the line of Shem. And through him, we begin to see these things. And then I, you know, and you go over to chapter 11, and there's another uh, genealogy. And, and of course, Shannon's going to be preaching on that one because it's easy. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. I didn't, I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to say that. Yes, I did. <laughs> but it's the more direct one. And I, you read through that, and you see that this goes down to through time and a thread and it weaves through all the different people. It weaves through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It goes into the Solomon, the priest. It goes through uh, King David. It goes, I'm not Solomon, Samuel. It goes through Samuel and it goes to David and the people. You know, why did they want a king? Well, because everybody else wanted a king. And then it continues on in, in the sins of David and, and it continues on through the kings, the other kings, and there was good kings and bad kings because at the same time, you remember those, those countries out in the out east? Remember the Medes and the Persians, the Babylonians and the Assyrians? God used them. Because when the northern kingdoms got really far away from God, Assyria comes in and takes over the northern kingdom and, when it's, and it takes the people off. And then when... After a while, the Babylonians begin to rise in power as the Assyrians are decreasing in power. And the Babylonians come up and they sack Nineveh and sack the Assyrians. And then they come into the land and God uses them to take the southern kingdoms out. And then there's the Medes and the Persians. These are all, you know, the Medes and the Persians, they're Jephites. They're one of us because we're Jephites. And, and he comes in and he takes those. And he begins to move. And the Medes and the Persians take over the Babylonians and during them, hey, can we go back and rebuild the city? Yes, we can. So we have Nehemiah. And the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. And, and, and as we continue to move, we come to that period of time of 400 years where nothing is written. And then we come to the Gospels. And there's Mary and Joseph. For under David, the lines of, of Judah and the, and the Levitical priestly line are merged together, and therefore we have a priest and a king in the person of Jesus Christ who was born. And because of who Jesus Christ is, we have this opportunity. And now the, the line of Jephthah that has moved so far away, those of us, we have an opportunity to accept Christ and move back into the tent of Seth, because in Seth there are all the promises of the Israel that is given to Israel through the line of Shem into Abraham, passed down to Isaac and Jacob, to the 12 tribes through Christ. 
We read the passage this morning, Zach read the passage this morning from 1 Peter, that we are a priest and a king. I, I really, this past week I was reading in, in Exodus, and I found it very interesting, because in Exodus Thirty-three, verses 16. Moses is interceding on the behalf of the people because the people just made the big mistake of having the big the calf, forming the calf that, you know, all of a sudden mysteriously evolved because they threw all this gold and stuff into a fire and his calf just grew out of it. Moses comes down and said, oh man, what did you do? Threw the tablets down, burned up the calf, scattered it into the waters. And now he's interceding for the, on behalf of the people. And he says this in verse 16. For how shall it be known that if I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Because God said, I've had enough. We're going to start over. Wait a minute, if you leave, if you don't go with us, how are we going to be that distinct people? And that's what Jesus Christ has done for us as we go through time and we see the lineage and, and we see how it comes down to the person of Jesus Christ. He has made us a distinct people. We should stand out wherever we go. We should stand out wherever we are. One of the things that I do is umpire baseball, as I mentioned before, and believe me, sometimes I can get pretty nasty on a baseball field as an umpire. I mean, you can only take so much parents quoting rules that they have no idea what the rule is. Coaches coming out and saying, well, this and that. No, no, that's not what the rule is. And sometimes I lost my temper. Oh, man. There was one time I did, and it was just, it was embarrassing. I had a lot of people to apologize for that one. But because I, I won, I decided I was not going to umpire any longer. No more. I was done with, with baseball umpiring. I'm going to girls softball because, one, the parents are nicer, the kids are nicer, and it's a quick game. So I called up president of our, our chapter and I said, for baseball, and I said, I'm not coming back. I'm done. He said, okay. A couple of weeks later, I get a phone call. It's Jerry. I know what he's going to ask me. So I didn't call him back. A week later, he sends me a text. Charles, can you come back? We need, we need we're, we're very short. Can you come back? Oh, man. So I text him back, Jerry, I'm not trying to ignore you. Oh, yes, I am. Yes, I am. And I spent a lot of time that weekend praying and seeking God because I'm trying to see where God is working. I'm trying to see if this is something that, that God wants me to do. Because if, and, and there have been things that have even happened in this church, that things that have come out of the blue. And I realized this is God. I've got to follow it. I've got to go with it. So I said, okay, I'll go back. After I asked a, a life group to pray for it, after I, you know, I just, so I've been going back. And 
it's different. Because as I stand behind that catcher, I realize more so than ever, I am a representative of Jesus Christ. What I do on that field reflects on him. So I'll stand back there and wow, <laughs> I'm standing on holy ground. You may not know it, but I am. You know, and I've thought that. Jesus Christ says, I'm a priest. A priest is one who intercedes for the people. And so I begin to talk and tell people, you know, this is what God is doing. He brought me back here. I didn't come back here on my own. And there was a brand new umpire. And I began to tell him stories. And he, he looked at me and he says, because God was working there, wasn't he? Man, you're a believer. Hot <laughs> dog. <laughs> and we got to talk on a different level. And then the other day I was umpiring with another guy and telling him just my story, how I ended up coming back. And he, oh, okay. But I got to plant that seed. I got to put something there that something else is working in my life. So far this season's been pretty good and and everything's going well, but we're only in it for three weeks now. <laughs> we got to go to the middle of May. But you see, here in chapter 10 is where it all begins. Here in chapter 10 is where we see the thread that runs through that can loop us back to God because of these barbaric people and somehow God intervened in their lives, God intervened in our lives and brought us back to him and put us in the tent. And then there are those people out there that we know that are trying to pull people away from God. God is not real, God is dead. Why do you want to believe in that? For them I feel sorry. But I am thankful. I am thankful I was blessed with this chapter. I am thankful that I had the privilege of dealing with genealogies because I learned so much. And thank you for allowing me to stand before you and share with you what I have learned.